Hello there, folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis, Christianity in Genesis, to be precise. Where do we see the person and work of Christ and, by extension, our life in him as head to the body? How are these old texts, these ancient Near Eastern texts, constitutive, definitive for the Christian church of all times and places? That is what we're after here. In this series, chapter 21 is on the docket today. We get the birth of Isaac, and it's been a long time in the making. It's been, well, about a quarter century. I mean, this is one thing about Genesis. It gives you the age, the ages of Abe throughout, I think, to track this, to say he had to wait a long time. That's one thing. The other thing is this doesn't happen. I'm getting ahead of myself already, but Abe is 100 years old. And I think the way that the Bible works with numbers there, tens and and so on, the complete number of ten, he had to wait the allotted time. He had to wait the appointed time that God had in store for him. He was a hundred years old. That is, uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth a son to Abraham. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his only begotten son, born uh, in the line of Abraham to bear our sin and to be our Savior. So the first part of chapter 21 is big for the Christian faith. We receive the word of the Lord, and he will fulfill that word. He cannot lie. He will not go back on that. Uh, As he has spoken to you, so will he do. It will not return empty, as uh, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55, but will accomplish all the things for which he sent it. So, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 21, it's what? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Notice the emphasis there. I said I would do this, and I am doing this. It has been a long time, about 25 years, I guess, since we first had the first uh, call of Abram. But the Lord visited Sarah as he said. He did to Sarah as he had promised. Visited is kind of a magnificent word, isn't it? Not just uh, fulfilled, but visited. That's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like the Virgin Mary being told that the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I mean, there's something... This is more than just, I'll think of you from far away. The Lord visited Sarah, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He visits us in a very personal, tangible way in his son's body and blood again and again, just as he promised to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Sarah conceives and bore and uh, and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God has spoken to him. We don't always get the fulfillment on our terms, do we? Hardly ever. Never, really, right? On our terms. Uh, and yet, at the time, at the appointed time, the Lord has all times and seasons in his hand at the appointed time, according to his word, 
Sarah bore Isaac. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. This is chapter 17. We talked about that and have a podcast there too. Just as God had commanded him. So not only is God fulfilling his word, he spoke his word, he's fulfilling his word, but Abe is also living in accordance with that word. So circumcision, eight days old, as God has commanded him. That's also our life in the Christian faith. Of course, we get this word. It calls us out of sin, death, and the devil. That word endures and gives shape and meaning to the Christian life right now. Ten Commandments, the Lord's will for us, and so on. It endures as God had commanded. So we walk in newness of life, the life that's given its shape and meaning from the word of the Lord. Abraham was 100 years old, talked about this. This is the full time, right? 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So also our Lord makes us wait for the fullness of time, knowing that the seasons and times are all in his hand. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. I love the play on words here. Laughter first comes up, oh, uh, earlier, right? Uh, We have the promise of Isaac coming in chapter 17. And then we have laughter in 18. We have the word for laughter, the root word in 19, Lot's son's think sons-in-law think he's jesting literally the laughing laughing and mockery and uh and now we have this laughter for the name of isaac but also what sarah says god has made laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh over me it's remarkable on the one hand um we will see shortly that there is a laughter against sarah a laughter of mockery a laughter of jesting a laughter that uh, perhaps stems from, I don't know, a condescension, this kind of, look, uh, you know, you have Isaac, but Ishmael is already, what, 16 years old or whatever he is. He's kind of a daddy's boy already, so he's going to have the birthright. Isn't he the firstborn? So, you know, all these things. There's a laughter that hurts there. And yet at the same time, there's a laughter of, can you believe it? Abe laughs in 17. I can't, can't, is this possible? The joys that you have, uh, of which you've spoken, is it even, is it possible? I'm laughing. And Sarah expresses the same. There is a laughter here with Isaac that will hurt. And Sarah will taste that very soon. There is cross involved, cross laughter and yet at the same time, there is, there is joyful laughter, gospel laughter. I can't believe that how good the Lord is to me. Oh, taste and see how good he is. He's fulfilled his promise in a way that just totally beyond everything we imagined. Who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son in his old age? Um, that's the kind of laughter that's on the gospel side of things. We're going to play this out. This is totally the Christian faith as well. Um, we get named Christian. And that means anointed one or anointed ones after the anointed one. And it is 
been anointed before the creation of the world that our Lord knows exactly what trials and crosses he would have in store for us in order to conform us to the image of the anointed one. He knows and he will work through it to draw you closer to him. At the same time, that anointing is before creation, I loved you in Christ and called you and redeemed you and sanctified you and will complete that good work that I began in you. That kind of laughter, that kind of anointed one. And the child grew and was weaned, we're then told. So weaning, I don't know, what are you, a couple of years old? So you throw a feast, kind of a big deal. There is this, I don't know, we don't throw big parties, I guess, anymore when weaning happens. Uh, I don't know, maybe you do, but I don't think so anymore. There's a great feast there when Isaac is weaned. Kind of a big deal just because you have this, I don't know, the nursing infant and then you're, it's a, it's a what? A transition to maturity of sorts. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. Here's that scorn, the mockery laughing, and she's not happy about it at all. So she says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Notice, first and foremost, uh, there is this laughter, play on words. So we talked about that. She says to Abraham, okay, now this is, uh, this is the church saying to, to the, the ministry, saying to our Heavenly Father, um, we don't want to deal with this cross, so get rid of it. Cast out this slave woman. Uh, the Apostle Paul will draw on this text in Galatians chapter 4. He'll say, you can see here two covenants. One is the slave woman, corresponding with Hagar, this, this idea that you can work your way up to God by works, ultimately. And the other uh, covenant is one of grace. You see it in Sarah. She receives everything freely as a gift. That's the covenant of, of Christianity, salvation by grace through faith. Uh, there's more to say there, but Paul draws on this text, the slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Again, it was the mockery having to do with who's the rightful heir and firstborn and, and so on. But she said, another thing, though, she says, she says this to Abraham. It's ultimately in his... She doesn't just do it herself. She says to Abraham, please, maybe without the please, but cast out this slave woman. Abraham will have to do this. In fact, in verse 11, we're told the thing was very displeasing to Abraham. Literally, it was evil in his eyes. This was an evil thing. He didn't want to do this. The same word uh, is used in chapter 19 for this. Uh, when the, the visitors surround, the mob surrounds Lot's house and they say, you know, bring them out. And Lot says, don't do this evil thing, my brothers. This is an evil thing for Abraham. It's very evil on account of his son. But God says to him, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do. As she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Now, this is a fascinating thing. Do you see what must happen? Abraham doesn't want to do this, and yet he is told, 
cast out your son Ishmael. Do you believe me? I've got a nation in store for him. Cast him out. Do you see what's happening here? Abraham, it is well known, will have to sacrifice Isaac. That's probably one of the most familiar texts in Genesis. And yet before he has to sacrifice Isaac, he has to sacrifice Ishmael. This is absolutely huge and probably overlooked because, again, we love the the sacrifice of Isaac is so key. And it's kind of, it, it, it's uh, what, summative. It's kind of a culmination of sorts, and rightfully so. But before that, he has to sacrifice Ishmael, which means before we even get to the sacrifice of Isaac, Abe is being groomed to, to, to give up this precious beloved son in order to trust the Lord at his word to accomplish the life that he has in store for Ishmael. I will make a nation out of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Do you believe me? Cast him out into the realm of death. Give him up. Give up that life in order to save it. Sound familiar? The preaching of our Lord. And so Abram rose early in the morning. It has the same language of chapter 22. There are a lot of verbal parallels between chapter 21 and chapter 22. He rose early in the morning. Well, that's what he does with Isaac, right? And he puts, he takes bread and puts a skin of water and gives it to Hagar. All this is sounding very much like what he'll do in chapter 22. Only he has, he has a first run of it here in chapter 21. He gives it to Hagar, puts it on her shoulder along with the child, sends her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is every time in Genesis the Lord picks a brother over over the other, picks one brother over the other, what does he do? He immediately grafts in the sojourner, the unchosen one, almost uh, in such a way that shows a a prioritization of that one. So um, he picks... Abe, and and two seconds later, Lot goes with him. Who is this Lot, and why is Lot? Lot has nothing to do with this. Two seconds later, Lot goes with him. He's tagging along. Lot, by the way, the nephew, the son of the brother. Why that relationship? Representative of all descendants of the brother. Son of the brother, Lot tags along. Um, He picks Isaac, and, and with Ishmael, What's the, it's not, okay, or he picks uh, Sarah. It's not Hagar, and yet Hagar is Hagur, the sojourner in the midst. In fact, um, she's the one that interacts with the angel of the Lord first. The first person who interacts with the angel of the Lord in the whole Old Testament is Hagar. The sojourner, the one not selected. And we talked about that in chapter 16. Here, it's not Isaac, but it's Ishmael, and yet Ishmael is given immediately in chapter 16. Here you get this kind of, he's given that there's the sacri- the, the near sacrifice of Ishmael happens before the near sacrifice of, of Isaac. First, we, if you see something of, of uh, the passion narrative in the sacrifice of Isaac, well, the sojourner, the foreigner, beat him to the punch. There is already and first... In Ishmael, the one who's 
given the passenger seat, the second seat, uh, a look at that passion narrative. So there, even as you, you pick one brother, there's such a prioritization of the other that it's, it's that God may be all in all. Uh, you look, oh, well, God chose Isaac, so he, 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 uh, you know, he prefers him. And then, and at the same time, there's, uh, there's, uh, little signals of preference for the unchosen in a way that the chosen don't get. And so you can't really say, I mean, that's the whole, the whole point is that from the very get go, it never was just about God's people, Israel. It's about all the families of the earth. And from the very get-go, immediately after he chooses somebody, he gives special preferences to the unchosen. And this is the kind of framework that's in place for, for how God works salvation for all of his Christians, that God may be all in all. He bestows a promise, and through that, he works to graft in those who want to, like Romans 9 to 11, be in that olive tree after all. And then what? The first ones chosen get jealous because here's this grafting in. And then they're kind of regrafted in that God may be all in all. And so even when God extends his grace and mercy to one individual, he's thinking 24-7 about how that spills over to another and then strengthens the first and so on and so forth. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Almost sounds like Moses now, doesn't it? She went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Again, this sounds kind of like the, some ancient rabbis used to say, there's no earlier or later in the Torah. Um, this is Moses. This is, did you, do you like that narrative? Moses is uh, baby Moses and so on. Well, Ishmael, we already get a picture of that in Ishmael. Ishmael, the outsider, the not chosen, uh, beats the chosen to the punch. She sits opposite him, lifts up her voice and weeps. God hears the voice of the boy. And the angel of God, again, angel of God, chapter 16 with Hagar first, here is that angel again. The Moloch of God calls to Hagar from heaven and says to her, what troubles you? Fear not, I have heard the voice of the boy. Notice, um, the switch there, we I thought we're hearing her voice, but it's the voice of the boy. Lift him up, hold him fast. I'll make him into a great nation. God opens her eyes. She sees a well of water. This is stay close to the water and you're in the same club as Isaac. And she went and filled the skin. This is the well, like the, the same sort of thing happened in chapter 16. Stay close to the water. You'll be just fine, even though you haven't been selected in the way that Isaac was selected. And God was with the boy. He grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This all sounds very much like Moses, very much like chapter 16, very much like Exodus 2. Those texts are all mutually informing to show us how God saves all people. The beauty of this, really, at the end of the day, is that in Ishmael is a picture of how he saves uh, people from Isaac. We are all, by nature, sinful and unclean, lost and condemned, foreigners, aliens to the covenant and the promises, as Paul would say. And so we all need to be grafted, and even the Isaacs need to be grafted in. They didn't, the Abe, Isaac, and Jacob line didn't do anything by their own merit and reason, reason and strength. 
and so also is true for the Christian church of all times and places. We are way overdue for that first break. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter 21. Kind of a three-part chapter, I guess. You have the birth of Isaac first, and then you have God protecting Hagar and Ishmael. And then a treaty with Abimelech, who's, uh, I guess, first introduced in chapter 20. Talked about Abimelech a little bit, this wife-sister narrative, the second of three wife-sister narratives in Genesis, this ongoing need to um, be ready to give it all up for the sake of the promise. Take they our wife, goods, fame, child, and life. This Abimelech is also mentioned in uh, 26 with Isaac. Isaac will have a little run in there. Abimelech is basically, there's also an Abimelech of, of Judges chapter 9, different time, much later. The Abimelech here in chapter 21 is, um, I guess maybe the name Abimelech is um, like what you would use for the king of the Philistines, although that's kind of interesting because the Philistines really, Philistines as Philistines aren't really on the map yet. And so some have had, some have a big problem with this uh, at the end of the account, verse 34, the last word there. Philistines aren't really around yet, and yet the term is used there already at this point in the Bible. It bothers some people. It's it's possible you, you know, Moses writes this, it's later on, and so people are familiar with, okay, we're, at the time this circulates and its form that it, we have it is, okay, Philistines, we know what those are, but chronologically, some take that to be very anachronistic. I have no problem with it whatsoever, because it Again, there's no earlier or later in the Torah. There's a kind of blending that happens that I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you want to blur chronology because it's not the the ultimate frame of reference here. I think the most important thing is the subject matter, God dealing with his people. And uh, this Abimelech, he's going to deal with his his people vis-a-vis Abimelech in ways that are going to overlap, whether you're in Genesis 21, 
or in First Samuel, for example, with when you get more Philistine talk. So Abimelech is he's a top notch. He's a he's a king. He's got this Fickle, the commander of his army. So these are top notch dogs here, and they say to Abram, "God is with you in all that you do." Now this is a confession. This is kind of significant. This is saying, okay, we didn't really know. I mean, the wife-sister thing in chapter 20, okay, but something's going on here. It's like Nicodemus. It's kind of, this is kind of like the Nicodemus of the, of the Old Testament. He comes to Jesus at night. Now, here we're coming to Abraham and saying, Rabbi, we know that nobody can do those signs unless God is with you. There's something going on there. Now, by the end of John, Nicodemus is helping with the burial, and you know he's, he's come a long way. But at first, in you know John chapter one, wherever Nicodemus is, he's Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Pharisees, and that's that. So he he kind of he has this conversion happening throughout the gospel. Similar, I, I think that similar things of Abimelech, where it's you know first time you run into him, it's okay, <clears throat> chapter twenty. But here it's God is with you in all that you do. Therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so will you deal kindly with me and with the land wherever you have uh, sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. This is a godly oath. Swear by God. Uh, So he confesses something about God and he wants to swear, make a treaty by God, invoking God's name. And Abram goes along with it. This is kind of significant. This has this is a sacred oath. This has something to do with the one true God. And so I think that's the reason Abe goes along with it. This is something that builds up God's kingdom somehow, even though Abimelech is on the outside, so far as we know. On the outside of, you know, God's churchly people as we track them through Genesis. I'm not making any sort of statement about, you know, the the nature of Abimelech's faith at this point, other than just, I mean, just we see this God is with you confession. It does seem to be there's some sort of, maybe the seeds have been planted, seeds of the gospel have been planted. I mean, maybe, I don't want to overstate. I mean, we only know what we know. Um, so there does seem to be something growing there. But again, you know, the the thing is, the, this is, this is a godly oath. And uh, Abe goes along with it for those reasons. There's something here that's going to, I think, Abimelech, this oath, there's something here that will build up the kingdom. And so Abe goes along with it, regardless of the exact, you know, the exact condition of Abimelech's faith right here. Again, there does seem to be something going on there, so far as we can tell. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, now notice the well connection. That's where we left off Hagar and Ishmael. Stay close to the well. So this Abimelech business has something to do with with a well. Abimelech says, I don't know who's done this. You didn't tell me. I haven't heard of it. So Abram took sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and two men made a covenant. He sets up seven ewe lambs of the flock, and Abimelech says to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? So notice, Abe is the one running the show. He's the one running the terms of the covenant. He says, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, and this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. This preserves the well. This preserves um, that very special place for Hagar. Stay by the well, and you'll be okay. Chapter 16, and then earlier in chapter 21. 
Abe is all about working out an agreement with Abimelech so long as it preserves this well, protects it, safeguards it. I'm fine with that. Therefore, the place was even named after that well, Beersheba, well of seven, because they're both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant there. And then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander, they go up, they return to the Philistines. Abraham plants a tree and calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Notice worship, proclaiming the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord. And he sojourns many days in that land. This is an interesting account, and here's how I take it. I think Abimelech, he does still represent the worldly powers at this time. And yet at the same time, the church, Abraham, is okay to enter into a certain level of agreement with the earthly ruler there insofar as it protects the things of the Lord. This well is sacred, for example. Notice the water and notice the terms that were used, oxen, sheep. These are sacrificial things. Seven ewe lambs. You have water. You have sacrifice. You have this well. You have this earthly ruler that'll enter into a particular agreement that allows Abe to protect those things. This is my well, okay? So that I don't, so that nobody takes this. I dug this well. This well will be protected. It'd be very similar to, you know, a, a church starting up. This is our land. This is our property. The religious services that go on here. First Amendment rights. You, I mean, you can kind of think about what are the things that protect God's word and sacrament at a very earthly level. And that, I think, is significant here and uh, for the church of all times and places. At the end, I think, and the significance, I think, is confirmed at the end. Abe plants a tree and calls on the name of the Lord. This arrangement allows, furthers, enriches, edifies the worship of the Lord. And so to the extent that it does that, Abe enters into it, and to the extent that it continues to do that in our modern times, the Christian church of all times and places should entertain that. What safeguards the word and sacrament going forth in our midst? This is why the church prays as she does, that the gospel may not be bound but have free course and be preached to the joy and edification of Christ's holy people. We want good, godly, earthly rulers so that we don't, so that they grant peace, we pray, so that they don't interfere with us. We know the gates of hell won't prevail. Even the gates of hell won't prevail against us. And yet, we don't voluntarily invite all these problems in from the kingdom of the left. We want the sorts of things that make for peace in our land so that the gospel can have free course. And that's what we have here with Abraham, who even is able to set up a tree. <laughs> Again, well-known trees in Genesis, corresponding quite nicely to the well-known tree around which we gather as a Christian church of all times and places, worshiping our Lord who was crucified on that tree to give life and uh, leaves for the healing of the nations grafted in among us. 
Great stuff here in Genesis. That's all the time we have for this particular podcast. But, hey, stay tuned. We'll tackle the big hitter, Chapter 22, next time. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, Dr. Brian German here, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.